Welcome to the Evolution of Innovation podcast, supplying you with the tools and insights to access your business's full potential. Welcome to the Evolution of Innovation podcast. I'm Sean Mader, and with me again today is my co-host, Chuck Rude. Chuck, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. Um, today, we have our friend Nellie Ortiz joining us, and she's a brilliant uh, innovator, designer, facilitator, somebody who's got a, a really diverse background. Um, our conversation did go a little long, so yeah. I think we're going to break this up into two pieces, and uh, we're covering a whole bunch of topics from facilitation to strategy digital transformation and really the human component of how to make all this work so we're gonna have her come in we'll break this up into two bits but it's an awesome conversation so thank you everybody for being here I would like to welcome Nellie Ortiz to the podcast Nellie thanks for joining us thank you so much for having me and you are uh, innovation and strategy person over at MindTree. Yes. So tell us just a little bit about what you guys do there and the position, the kind of work you end up doing at MindTree. Perfect. So I lead strategy and innovation basically for a consulting arm of a 21,000 people technology company. Um, this department is called the Digital Pumpkin. So it's a fun environment and it's literally a place shaped like a pumpkin where we invite our customers to feel a little bit more comfortable with themselves and actually think differently. Um, it's also not just the space. We have one in, in Warren, New Jersey, one in Bangalore, opening one in London. So we're kind of taking this idea of the pumpkin global. Um, but also what we do is kind of what we say, pumpkin in a box. So we go with our clients whenever they are and just bring in those frameworks of innovation mm-hmm. to make them think uh, not out of the box, but co-create and think differently together to get to better outcomes faster. Mm-hmm. And I know that anybody listening to this is going to have the same question. Why do they call it the pumpkin? Yes. <laughs> so there's different uh, different theories around it. It started in Bangalore in India, actually, uh, with the concept of that magical sense of pumpkin and transformation. Also that the different ways and shapes and colors of pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Also, that whole concept of that, um, you know, it's everyone has a different notion of pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Um, so we played around a lot with that, what the digital pumpkin is, um, but we love the magical side of it because we think that we can actually create magic together when we do things in the pumpkin. Yeah, well, and that's the... We've talked about how to actually create experiences for your clientele so that they're in the discovery of something that might be different than what they came in with. Yes. So um, this is a common theme inside of design is there's mm-hmm. the initial idea, there might be the initial request for proposal. What's the kind of uh, typical encounter you have in the digital pumpkin when people come to you guys? Of course. So um, it's funny, you know, in technology, a lot of our clients will come with already a set of requirements or mm-hmm. a solution in mind. So the typical question will be like, or a typical request would really be, I want an app. And uh, I am the annoying five-year-old, that's mm-hmm. how I call myself, asking why a lot. So, but why do you need an app? 
And is the app really the technology that you want for? What type of app do you want? Uh, but it's not about the technology. Technology is just a tool mm -hmm. for us to create these experiences. But what I really want to get to when I bring people to the pumpkin is to make them realize the real problem they're trying to solve for. Um, so at the beginning is kind of that relation. We need to build that trust and relationship of thinking, okay, let's think deeper into your problem and uncover really what it is that we want to solve. So then when we actually go solve it, we can do it efficiently, fast, but also solve the right problem. Mm -hmm. So, and there's different ways of doing this, right? But even the first thing I do is make everyone feel comfortable So when I was working with one of the big banks here um, in North America, it was actually a global bank, but in North America it's big, um, you know, all these MDs are suited up and, you know, they're very formal. So the first thing I said was, you know, everyone brings the most comfortable outfit they can and, you know, they show up in Hawaiian t-shirts and some of mm -hmm. them even sandals. <laughs> it was very funny, but like just... To open up like that, everyone was laughing about the, each other and it was becoming uh, comfortable and they realized that it was a safe space for them to actually be there and think about it differently. Yeah, and what are some of the challenges that you run into right off the bat? I mean, there's always a, a thrust for this is how we do things, this is what we need, and part of your job is to put their assumptions right into question. And yes. so when you talk about creating a comfortable environment, uh, what are some of the spaces you find yourself going through consistently with clients? So I always feel like I become a teacher because mm -hmm. um, I'm teaching them a process of doing things differently mm -hmm. and things that probably they've done in their work for 20 years the same way, coming to a space where they're like, wait, so you're telling me this is not how we should do it. And I'm not going to change their business. Like, yeah. they know their business more than anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say also, I'm going to teach you about, let's say, the airline business and you're an airline company. Like, it just makes no sense for me to actually try to educate you on that in the industry side. But in terms of a framework and how innovation works and how it has evolved, there's a lot of things that we have learned across industry and even in just technology itself that has worked better. So things like design thinking and Agile, we actually apply every day. Um, I actually became a design thinking coach and a design thinking lead just because I thought it was such a smart framework to co-create with our clients and also a very smart framework in simple enough to tell people what do we do, what we do, and when, and how. Mm -hmm. So... The first thing I do is actually explain to my clients what are we actually going to do together. And by doing that, they trust the process, or at least they start trusting the process. Right. Um, and then they say, okay, but why are we doing this? So I always explain in every, we call it artifact. It's kind mm -hmm. of an activity, let's say. So let's say we're going to build personas together because that's something that we do normally in design thinking. It's why do we build personas for, right? I explain to them, This is how we've used it before. This is why we need a persona. This is the representation of a persona, an example of them. And then these are the things that we use a persona for later. Mm -hmm. Because it's never an artifact. It's never, first of all, it's never static. Mm -hmm. yeah. And second, it's always being used in other part of the process. That's how we build yeah. an artifact so it can leave in the process. And you will see how everything builds on top of the other artifact until you have the final outcome that you want, which is... Yeah the experience that you want to build. Yeah. 
And I think that's, you, you talk about the layering. I think it's really important that it's, the artifact, just designing a persona or developing a persona doesn't live alone. Yes. It's not static, that it, it's evolving and it, it's a different lens to, uh, you know, a different door to the same room mm -hmm. as, you know, your user journeys, your system mapping, your mission and vision of the, you know, of the outcomes of the, the project. They're all different parts of that. Um, the same picture and you're painting a, a broad picture with those different artifacts. Yes. Um, through that process, do you find uh, what are the biggest barriers around uh, getting people to think differently about those and, and understanding the concept of design thinking or human-centered design? I feel like there's also, you know, there's always that perception on these things, right? Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes things sound very technical, so people are afraid of it, or some things sound very colorful and designy. So I say mm -hmm. I say this because design thinking has the word design in the actual yes title um so when people talk about design thinking they always assume it has going to be a ux person or ui person like mm -hmm. a designer yeah. uh running or facilitating the workshop or actually leading the engagement which has nothing to do really with what we thought design was right ui is just like how do you make things prettier design thinking is just a methodology for solving a problem applying design principles meaning the designers will always see the user first. Mm -hmm. So user-centricity was at the core. Yeah. They were constantly creating hypotheses of what the problem was, but reframing the problem all the time. Mm -hmm. And then also they were constantly prototyping because when you design something, you know how it looks so you can break it or make it again. And then you can show people, this is what I think the solution is. This is the concept I'm actually looking forward to design for you. Is this what you want? and have feedback right away. Mm -hmm. So that prototyping process is huge. And in business, it wasn't really a thing. We had business cases. Yeah. Um, that's how sometimes we prove mm -hmm. things. And um, sometimes we just made a plan. So what we called before, you know, green technology, waterfall. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you plan something, you probably put some money into it, you think that you make assumptions of how this is gonna be built or last. And then at the end, you build this product and then after doing all of that, for probably two years into it, you're going to test it for the first time. After and a huge investment yeah, of time, resources, yeah. money. And were you even solving the right problem? Sometimes yeah. what you did for that year to year of building something was based out of your boss's requirement. Sure. And, or your project manager mm -hmm. or the CEO of the company. But who are you building this for? Like, is the person that is actually going to buy this, was it involved from the beginning? Mm -hmm. Probably not. We were afraid to actually involve our users in the process at the beginning. In design thinking, we like to involve them from the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, what's that we call a sponsor users? So you, everyone has their ambassadors and the champions in companies. So if, for example, you're a big CPG company, I am sure you have some uh, people that are ambassadors already on different social media that you can recruit, ask them questions right away. There's so many ways. Even if you're a B2B company, um, you will be surprised how many people want to be involved in the innovation yes. process. And when they actually are from the beginning, they're willing to give you more of their time and feedback, but in mm -hmm. a good way, not in a critique way. Yes. Whereas if you wait to launch a product, let's say in two years, and everything goes wrong, he will murder you on yep. social All you're going to get is critique. Everything you're yep. going to get is critique. 
Whereas in the beginning, you say, you know, this is a beta, it's just a prototype. Mm -hmm. I would love your feedback to include it in our process. Such a different type of conversation. And you get such a different reaction. And just just make everyone happy, which is what actually this is so fun to do because everyone is involved. Everyone gets their hands dirty. And at the end, it's an experience that we all build together. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, a big case study for that is actually Microsoft in one of the origins of its, I don't know if it's Windows 7 or, but they actually gave out 250,000 licenses to beta testers. These would be extreme oh, users, awesome. people in a, a variety of different business scenarios. And so on paper, to a more conventional business mindset, giving out 250,000 licenses would be just a, a <laughs> horrible cost. Yes except the cost of not getting those key insights, the cost of not getting that feedback, the cost of launching something as big as an operating system Mm -hmm. and having it come out with bugs in it. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about innovation capital and what you actually do have at your fingertips, you know, we do talk about like, yeah, you have your people inside who are experts, but you actually have a huge fan base that you can engage along the way and even build more brand value out of the process of innovation. Totally agree. Yeah. And, and my thing with that, too, is people are afraid to put things in the marketplace, even if it's a beta. What are they going to say? Um, and my, what I always say is, like, just control it. It's, it's however you want it. You have all the power to control the environment, mm-hmm. to invite the people that you want to invite. But it's worse when you can't control it. Because when you launch something to the world, oh, you lose total control of that mm-hmm. product, oh, service. Fingers anything. crossed. And fingers crossed. <laughs> see what happens, yeah. how they reply to this, how do they react to this. Whereas in a controlled environment and knowing what you want to measure, as you said, yeah. Microsoft knew the outcomes they wanted from this pilot, let's yeah. say. And if you do know what you want to measure, from the beginning you have KPIs you want to measure, mm-hmm. it's actually a very easy sell internally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you know, this is what I'm going to do with this information, this is what the risk that we actually mitigate by doing this, it's, I mean, like, it's for now for me, it's like a no-brainer. Like, why are you not doing it? Well, and that's, that's I think, the paradigm shift is that the normal flow was we invest, we have a bunch of experts, we make a business case, we try to convince to get internal buy-in. Mm-hmm then go invest all this time, energy, resources, manpower, launch the product and hope for the best. Yes. What we're really speaking to is a very uh, kind of creating a culture of iteration, ideation, speculation. And I mean, you deal with this at a, on a level of software and tech at such a high rate. There's a whole other side of this process, which is you may be going out to test for those KPIs, but what you really get out of it is a lot of insights that were unforeseeable. So I'm just wondering if how often with your clientele, your process of iteration and ideation and testing is actually yielding unexpected revenue streams, maybe new product fits, things that were never anticipated by the client. Yes. Whereby the end product resembles nothing to the original idea. Yeah. So funny enough, I think it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also think you need to make them aware of this. I think that's why contracting, it's so difficult now because for agile and design thinking, you're literally just saying, let's see what we discover together. And then from there, you build something. So you can make a lot of assumptions. And also from experience, you have you know probably projects that look similar. So you have things that you can mitigate or assume mm-hmm. that will happen mm-hmm. But you will always get some kind of surprise. So let's say, for example, I work in a, 
my client this year was a corporate relocation company. What they do is actually help companies relocate their employees, let's say, from China to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a lot of talent flowing, you know, flying from mm-hmm. one place to another. And it was a very wide glove service type of thing. So they realized that in the marketplace, the corporate relocation as we knew it was going down. But there was some type of relocation, what we call now informal relocation, Mm -hmm. that was growing exponentially. And just we didn't know what was going on there. So it was really kind of more of they actually gave us a question mark. What's there and what can we do to actually get there? What they thought was there has to be other way to engage with this people Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, trying to teach or what what do we do here? So white space. Um, So we did discovery with them. And at the beginning, they thought that we will focus on the bigger companies, you know, the L'Oreal's, the Procter & Gamble's, mm-hmm. right? The big companies are uh, relocating people from one place to another. Um, and then they have HR directors, which even they have mobility directors, people that move people yep. for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, and you will, you know, it's funny because I didn't really know much about this industry until mm-hmm. I started getting into it. It's very complex. It's a lot of policies. There's a lot of structure around it, you know, like into taxes, mobility, housing, uh, van lines. There's so mm. many things around actually moving someone to do their work as soon as possible because mm-hmm. they want productivity. Yeah. They're paying a lot for this person. Yeah. It's they a want to start working. Yeah. yeah. And what we discover is that we wanted to focus at the end when we start discovering more and more, we focus more about the the adjacent companies, companies that were very small, growing exponentially. So one day you're a biotech company, you have five people, and then at the end of the year you have 200. Then you, what you were doing was actually kind of giving them 50K and you'll figure it out. Yep. And because they didn't know what they didn't know, mm-hmm. they were just wasting a lot of money. Just by default, you know, if you give someone 50K, just by giving them <laughs> that 50K is 25K. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, you know, and you think as a transferee or as a person you're going to transfer, it's better that I get the money, I can do whatever they want with it. They lose so much money in the process just with taxes, yeah. with mm-hmm. the not capacity to move because van lines is the most impossible thing to actually gather the right time, the right, uh, yeah. you know, pick up time for your things to actually move around from, you know, let's say the West Coast to the East Coast. Many, many things, many vendors that are probably, you can get scammed. A lot of people go to Craigslist at some point. Right. You get robbed. <laughs> there yeah. were so many things that we discovered. So at the end, we actually ended up doing a product that was self-service for the transferee and the adjacent company. Hmm. So even though we still had the focus of the HR director for this big mobility, mm-hmm. um, kind of mobility directors in big companies, the focus was shift. We even did a mobile first type of prototype. So it was a clickable prototype for mobile first. And the outcome was this product that they're actually building right now. Wow. So That's literally, yeah. you end up mm-hmm. discovering what the real problem was. And yes. actually, the solution to it was something was not even on their radar before the beginning of the process. Yes. And it was very interesting because the CTO didn't know us at all in um at the end of it, he became an advocate of the process. Mm-hmm. And even even when we were in the middle of the project, this was at the end like a 10-week project. 
um, which is pretty fast for everything that you do. It's just very fast paced and you co-create with them. So I had a team from their side and my team coming together. Um, And then he will always say, trust the process. So that became like, you know, <laughs> our slogan for the project is trust the process. Because everyone was like, but, but what are you going to do with this? And like, why are we doing this? It's like, trust the process. Well, well I was just going to say, like, I, I've used that term or heard that term a lot. And it's like, I've been thinking about it a lot. And, and it's really not so much like, like, I get the process, but it's about when you're in research, you're doing research. You're not designing the end solution. Like you haven't come to a conclusion. You still have hypothesis, but it's about saving that space and protecting that space to do the discovery phase or do the define and the problem or the design and not be jumping ahead or looking in different directions. Like you're all focused on the same, uh, same task and goal within the process at that time. Yes, and I think the most difficult part is when clients are clients are very antsy. I think everyone yeah. gets antsy when they don't see something right away. Yeah. Um, so we need to constantly say, why are we doing what we're mm-hmm. doing? But especially in discovery, a lot of people skip it completely, yeah. and it's a horrible mistake, and I say this to everyone, please don't do that. <laughs> Take time to do discovery well, because that's where you discover the real insights that is going to drive your design yep. and then your build and then your market deployment. Uh, that's how digital transformation happens, right? Because you actually discover something that is so insightful that you can build a whole product around it. Yeah. And building and designing on assumptions is just, it's, you know, it's a very big risk. Yeah, you could actually hit the lottery. You never know. But that's a huge risk. Whereas when you actually found that insight that is, data that you actually mm-hmm. have data you have the personas built for it you did your interviews you talked to the right stakeholders you have the right information for you to make an informed decision well that brings us to i think one of the biggest challenges amongst designers design thinkers facilitators is the process itself requires a shift in how people are normally conducting business mm-hmm. uh, kind of a slowing down of the <laughs> process mm-hmm. and you know, we're all in a fast-paced life, and we're oftentimes inside these conversations is, I don't have time for that. We yes. want the result. We want the results. And it does take something to get a client to see the value in slowing down and going through a process when the outcomes are at best unknown. <laughs> Ambiguity is not usually the friend to business. Yeah. So I know... Uh, we all have that same struggle, and I know sometimes when people come in, you try to get them experiencing the difference of going through a process by giving them some basic exercises so that they can start to see how this process is different than just a straight-ahead execution of an assumption. So I was just wondering, what some of those uh, ways that you get people get people's attention when they first start working with you so that they start to at least have an experience of an aha moment? Yes. <laughs> So there's one exercise that I love doing. Um, and it, it's funny because in design thinking, um, you know, I don't know if, if you're aware of the actual framework and the workshops, the first thing that will come in the internet sometimes is posters and Sharpies. Mm-hmm. And it's true, we use it a lot. And why? Because there's different whys here. Yep. Uh, a post-it is not big enough for you to write a whole essay on it. A Sharpie is big enough for you to be very conceptual and draw something so it representation represents better in the room. Mm-hmm. And also, everyone has the same voice. 
Like, for example, if you have the CIO here and then all the mm -hmm. other ones in the other side, probably if there's a very hierarchical company, they're not going to speak as much because the CIO is talking. Right. Or the CEO is talking. Um, so I make sure that everyone has a Sharpie and a posted with themselves and everyone's writing down their ideas and their thoughts. Everybody has to. Yeah. They really have. Yeah. 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 I, they have to. And sometimes they even, it's funny because it becomes the opposite. We're like, oh no, they're doing their job. And then I'm just watching. I'm not, everyone that is here. That's why I become like a mm -hmm. kindergarten teacher for CMOs, CTOs, and CEOs. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, if everyone in the room is working the same way, your ideas count the same way too. And I want mm -hmm. to hear what you say. You're the CEO of this company. You need to write it down too. And that's also sometimes they're like, oh, she called me out, <laughs> yeah. right? But so I have one specific exercise I do. Um, so everyone will have posties and Sharpies. And I make them in one minute to draw a bridge. So, you know, like, you know, draw a new bridge. Be innovative if you want to. Then they have the one minute, they draw it, they present it to play back to everyone. Most of the bridges look very similar. And they will have some things that are new, like, you know, this bridge is, it doesn't have support. It's, you know, it's pending. Um, the other bridge has, like, um, you know, more lightning in this way. Like It's just a little bit, like, enhancing of a bridge. Mm -hmm. um, maybe there's one idea that is crazy because the guy is, like, wants to do something different. Trying just to beat yeah. you on the exercise. Yes, yeah. it's like, let's do this. And then you have, uh, I say, scratch that one, throw it to someone that you like or don't like in the room. And then I actually make them do another type of exercise, another minute to design a way for a five-year-old to cross a river. And you will be surprised how different everyone will come up with. Um, very few will come up with a bridge. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like a drone picking up my kid from one place to another one. Another one is a slide to make it fun. Sometimes it's all about safety, a zip line. Uh, or their parents will actually swim with them to the other side. So it's just the experience. And then I ask them, what was the difference between exercise number one, exercise number two? And they even give me their own answers. Oh, well, you gave us a, pers a person mm -hmm. yeah. in the second ding, exercise. Ding, ding. Yeah. I'm like, yes, <laughs> user centricity right there. You thought and you create empathy on that five-year-old mm -hmm. and you understood what they were going through so you created an experience for them in the first exercise i will ask everyone who assumed they were the user it's a huge problem let's say in designing is that we normally assume things that we we live in our lives and yeah. it's like i wouldn't use that i'm like i don't care if you wouldn't use that i care if the user will use this and most of the times we do that self projecting on our own designs and in, in anything mm -hmm. that we do. Oh, completely so, unaware of the level of bias we bring yeah. to the table. Oh, so much yeah. bias. And that goes to the next point, where if I give them a product and not an experience, they will be biased by the product. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's why kids are much more creative than adults, because we are so biased. We yeah. know what a TV looks like. We know what a table looks like. We know what a bridge looks like. So if I tell you a bridge, you already have a vision of what a bridge is. Mm -hmm. So for you to get out of that like concept of a bridge is very hard. I need to make you think differently. And you know, if I tell you, let's redesign the desk you work on, it's the same concept. You'll have the desk and you'll put things on top of it. But yeah. the way that we work now, I work in airplanes, I work in my bed. Like I don't even have a desk. So 
you know, things have evolved. That, that's the child saying that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but um, it's a, it's, you it's do exactly work in a pumpkin, so. Yeah, I do work in a pumpkin. Um, so product based yeah. and experience based, very different things. I yeah. wanted an outcome out of this. I give you a challenge, and then you can define a product that will solve for that challenge. But I did not give you a product at the beginning. Yeah, and and also, I think you brought this up in the beginning is. You know, technology or whatever it is, is is not the solution. It's the means to an end. So yes. you're going to utilize the resources and the technology and whatnot to help um, solve that problem. Yes. That you that experience or the need that the user has. Yes. It's not just saying I have VR and I'm going to use VR in this project. Exactly. Yeah. But if you do think that VR will solve for that problem and the kid is afraid to, you know, cross the river and a yeah. movie in VR will help them realize that they're going to another space just because he has anxiety, yes, yes. use VR. But it's just, as I said, a tool to exactly. solve for that yeah. challenge. And it, it, the same thing will go with everything. Frameworks, trends, behaviors, technology, yeah. all of it is just... As the knowledge that you gather through experience mm -hmm. to solve better for that problem. And I think that brings up another topic too, which you know, working in business model design as well is sometimes these exercises will expose certain limitations within the organization you're working with. Yes. Which sometimes is the most valuable insight to get. Mm -hmm. yeah. And for, uh, I think we find this in much uh, larger companies where people are used to thinking inside of a particular paradigm such that in the second version of your exercise, suddenly there was a whole wide array of ideas. Mm -hmm. And some of them might be beyond where people were willing to go inside their company. Yes. It would call for a new business model. It would call for a, developing a new set of skills that might not be immediately apparent. And so how do you have those kinds of conversations with a client when you do expose you know, you can have an insight about your product or a service, but mm -hmm. when you actually are discovering the biggest blind spot is inside the imposed limitations of the company, this is when we're really talking about companies being agile, yes. being able to be nimble in an era of unprecedented change, and maybe having to reimagine the entire business model of the company. Those are some pretty heavy-duty conversations. Yes. What's great is sometimes I don't even have to tell them. Mm -hmm. Become self-evident. Yes. Yeah. They discover it themselves. Yeah which is also great for me <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because if it comes from me, it probably will come from a judging point. You know, it's like, who are you to judge my company and how I work for? Right. You know, it's like, and it's totally fair. It's like yeah. saying that you, your kid is ugly. Yeah. Like no one wants to yeah. know that. Even if you know your Let kid is ugly. Let the parent figure yeah. that out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the parent will know. I'll show him in the mirror maybe. No, I'm kidding. That's me. But it, it's the same, it's the same kind of concept. And um, my clients were actually are the ones saying like, oh, but we, we can't do that because we don't really have the skills inside to do that. You know, like every time we talk about data analytics, how many companies have said, I don't have the right people to understand the data I have. I have so much data, but I, I no one really can go through it, understand it, make a framework for everyone to actually create insights out of mm -hmm. it and use them in a repeatable way. Um, so now that's why everyone's trying to hire data people. Right. And this is why everyone's trying to hire designers and developers because, you know, the, all the industries have been disrupted by technology and we are all trying to kind of get to the next level. And is, this is saying that a bank wants the same that 
Google wants. Like Google wants developers, but developers actually want to go and work on Google. So what are these banks offering to these developers to go and work for there? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's, it's a game now of talent too and a game for them to understand what do they need to actually get to the next level. Well, I think that's super interesting as you get into, well, you brought up like business models or... Yep. Or your personas or journeys, whatever you're getting into, is your your artifacts and you're building it, is yeah. your prototyping and testing it and iterating on it. You come to these different understandings of, oh, I might need um, to to expand my capabilities within my organization with mm -hmm. data data, uh, data analysis and things like that. But also during that process, you can examine different ways of solving that solution, not just saying, oh, I'm going to hire a whole internal yes. analytics team. Exactly. Oh, maybe I can partner with uh, another company. Maybe there's a merger and acquisition. Maybe there's there's different areas and ways you can approach this Agreed. that through that iteration process, you can discover you can be like, well, actually, we don't want to do that. We'd rather, you know, or what, or what could it, or what could it look like if we wanted to yeah. go that way? What might yeah. that actually look like? Yeah. And yes. then create a menu of options like exactly and, partnering, and, and figure out which one is the right one exactly to achieve the goals that you're looking at and to be um, so clear in terms of how we actually get to that is that we always say let's say in the digital pumpkin that the magic happens in the intersection between business design and technology. Mm -hmm. You can't work in silos, and that's one thing that most companies do, especially when you're big companies. You know, even if you try to be non-silo, you're gonna have silos. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do um, is actually make everyone go in the same room and have all the capabilities enough to make those decisions. Yep. So a lot of the times, my clients will come to me. It's like, oh, we're, it's, a, it's a sales problem. So you just need the sales team. I'm like, no, it's never just the sales mm -hmm. problem. And I need someone from marketing and I need someone from sales and I need the sales rep and I need everyone that is going to be able to make a decision to change your problem. That's the person I need in the room. So when you actually said that we need to slow down, actually we slow down to discover, but it's so much fast paced because everyone's in the same room co-creating. So you actually do much more work. So at the end of, let's say, six weeks, six weeks working together, they realize, oh my God, this could have taking us a year and a half of meetings, invites, mm -hmm. calls, just because you always, it's so hard to get everyone in the room. Well, and that's, I think you went, so you pointed to the hypothetical of I could go to Google or I could go to a bank. Yes. Why? Well, I like to think of teaching design principles in terms of an employee engagement initiative. Mm -hmm. Now that's sidelining the actual conversation of what we're actually solving a problem for but what you're pointing to is also the value to an organization to have alignment when you have oh. all those people in a room. Yeah. Yes. And the opposite of alignment is all those endless meetings, mm -hmm. the long timelines, and the frustration from miscommunication, the exactly. resentment and the cynicism that naturally creeps in when this department isn't listening and doing this, and I'm over here, and you know what, I give up, and nobody's listening. So one of the things that I've been looking at is from an employee engagement and retention level, do companies really need to be taking on design thinking and implementation as a set of core competencies in their organization so that if I'm an employee there, 
I'm naturally trained in to be doing that ongoingly so that I actually work in an environment that calls for my creativity. It calls for mutual collaboration. It calls for kind of the spontaneous evolution of the organization yes. and pathways to create new solutions ongoingly. Well, that actually, that level of development, creativity, collaboration is the opposite of what so many people's day-to-day -day work experience is, which exactly. is frustration. I have ideas and my manager just says no and they don't go anywhere. There's nowhere to test it. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere for me to develop myself into. So mm -hmm. when I start to think about how if I'm a CEO of a company, I mean, look at the just the sheer dollar amount put to employee retention and yes. what it takes to onboard mm -hmm. somebody, get them settled into Especially their... Especially now, millennials yeah. don't last a year, two years in a company. Right. They're not happy. Which means you maybe got two months of them being trained in and <laughs> actively engaged yeah. before they've already started to get one foot out the door. Agreed. But then I say that jokingly, but that's, that's actually the truth. The truth. It's a fact. And you know, it's funny because... You have no idea how many times our clients, after going through this process, say, teach me. Yeah. Because it's not about, you know, it's not um, sustainable for them to be hiring people to do this for them all the time. Mm -hmm. So what we do a lot is knowledge sharing and actually teaching them. So there's curriculums we could teach and then work with their teams for them to become that facilitator, become the trainer inside and yep. design thinking ambassador inside their companies. Because as you said, they realize that, that, that they don't have that currently. So then it's like, how can I empower my employees, let's say my high performers at least at the beginning, to think like that, to act like that, to make this happen internally. So then we're not, you know, as soon as we're done with this project, then we're back to status quo. There was no convenient place to break this conversation up, but it was so good that we decided to break it up into two parts to make it a little more user friendly. Please join us for part two, where we pick up this conversation and we get into some of the things that organizations can do to get the right kind of talent and how to activate that talent in their organizations. So for this time, bid you adieu. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode. If you'd like to learn more about our workshops or consulting and innovation strategy services, please visit us at evolutionofinnovation.com or email us at hello at evolutionofinnovation.com.